0: Hello rebels, I'm Sheila Gunreed and you're listening to a free audio-only recording of my weekly Wednesday night show, The Gun Show. However, this is the internet so you can listen to it whenever you want and you can watch it whenever you get around to it. Tonight my guest is Michelle Sterling from Friends of Science Society. Now, if you like listening to the show, then you will love watching it. I promise. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-form TV-style shows here on Rebel News. Subscribers get access to my very excellent show, as well as other great TV-style shows, too, like Ezra's Nightly, Ezra Levant Show, and David Menzies' Fun Friday Night Show Rebel Roundup. It's only 8 bucks a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for my podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. That's PODCAST. Just go to premium.rebelnews.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Those reviews are a great way to help people find our podcast and support Rebel News without ever having to spend a dime. And now please enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Did you know that there is something called a Canada-France climate partnership? The mainstream media hasn't had a lot to say about it, have they? I'm Sheila gunn Reid, and you're watching The Gunn Show. France Climate and Environment Partnership, as it's known, was signed in 2018. Under the partnership, the parties have committed to pricing carbon emissions and developing green finance initiatives. Now, I'm sure you, like me, you haven't heard a lot about this, while our largest trading partner, the United States, is busy repealing regulations and refusing to cripple their own economy with a carbon tax. Now Canada instead is making green deals with small trading partners like France to cripple our oil industry back home with a carbon tax. While Canadians have rebelled against the imposition of a carbon tax, the Liberals in Ottawa were disregarding the will of the people and fighting non-carbon taxing provinces in court because the Liberals signed on to an agreement with France. And no one's been talking about it. In the mainstream media. The one really great analysis that I've seen about this climate partnership has been from our friends at Friends of Science Society. And given the focus on climate change at Davos at the recently concluded World Economic Forum, I thought, let's have them on. So joining me tonight to talk about the Canada France Climate and Environment Partnership. All the weirdness at Davos and several other really great reports being put out by the Friends of Science Society is my friend and good friend to the show, Michelle Sterling from Friends of Science. now from calgary is my friend michelle sterling from friends of science society michelle it's been a while since you've been on the show and i wanted to have you back on uh, there's so much in climate change news to talk about um the first thing i want to talk about is closer to home we often talk about these climate change issues as you know this global scheme to control our lives and really it is but um you guys have a new report out it's called fear and loathing and it's on the Alberta inquiry into foreign funded attacks on Alberta's oil and gas industry and the Canadian natural resource sector as a whole. Um, Mm -hmm. And you guys have sort of debunked some of the left-wing myths around it.
1: Right. Well, presently, first of all, happy new year. Thanks for having us on the show. But but presently we see many um, NDP People are speaking out against the Alberta inquiry. Lots of people are saying, oh, it's a waste of $30 million. They don't seem to notice that there are $19 billion in pipeline projects stopped in Canada because of the tar sands campaign. So last fall, we issued a report called Fear and Loathing, how Alberta went from being a, a, a prize, a precious jewel in the Canadian technological and engineering world, To a pariah worldwide and in it we simply go step by step through the development of this foreign funded campaign which also became a domestically funded campaign but its roots are in the foreign funding and um, how it has incrementally damaged our reputation worldwide and it's really just a green trade war like you know many Canadians are very geopolitically unaware because our closest geopolitical partner is the U.S. But, you know, if you were in Europe and you understood, oh, Europe buys all of its oil, gas and coal from the Middle East and and dictator nations, you know, funny they don't do business with us. You know, then things start to make a bit more sense if you look at the broader picture. So that report is out. We also did a video related to that about Sephora Berman at COP in in Madrid, where she was uh, claiming that she's going to get a fossil fuel... Uh, what did she call it? Uh, uh, like injunction worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, these are serious things because, you know, we need fossil fuels. I'm not an industry advocate. I'm an advocate for ordinary people.
0: You're a humanity stop- advocate, I think. We just, yeah. went, th- we just went through uh, nearly two weeks of sub minus 40 degree temperatures. Yeah. Without fossil fuels, a great number of us would be dead.
1: That's yeah, just how all- it is.
0: Yeah. 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 So anyway, the, those
1: those two items are out there. Hope people have a look at them, consider them. You don't have to agree with us, of course. But, you know, I think when you see the bigger picture drawn in those reports and that video, you'll get a sense of really what's going on.
0: Yeah. You know, when Berman was uh, in Madrid for the UN Climate Change Conference, same time myself and Kian were, she was protesting the Tech Frontier Oil Sands mine, which has agreements with every indigenous group that it remotely uh, touches and even some that it doesn't. Um, And they did that ahead of time. And yet Berman shows up there with people uh, from indigenous groups who are very obviously based on their cultural garb from the West coast, i.e. Haida Gwaii. um, And they're protesting against the jobs of the indigenous people In the Fort McMurray area, it's just very bizarre to watch. It's like environmental colonialism is what I think it is.
1: Yeah, it is eco-colonialism. It is. And, uh, you know, we live in a society with many conflicting needs and demands. But a fundamental thing is that people do need energy and they need jobs. And there's nobody else in our competitors out there who are sacrificing themselves in the way that Canadians are over climate change. None of them. So we're in the top five, six, seven, eight competitors in delivery of oil, gas and coal worldwide. And uh, whoever it is out there that's crushing our economy, they're doing a very good job. And a lot of naive Canadians, probably very well-meaning Canadians, are helping them. So think twice, people. Wake up.
0: Yeah, you know there are some people who are evil in this, and there are some people who are not evil but just wrong, <laughs> and sorely misled. And uh, their opposition might come from a good place, but they don't have all the facts. Now, speaking of facts and attacks on a, a major Alberta industry, um, and I, I think this all ties together with that global push for veganism. <laughs> this like this <laughs> desire from I don't know from above. Smarter people to have us all be malnourished and cold, um, and that we're all just supposed to eat bugs to change the climate. Um, Robert Lyman has an incredible report out about the domestic cattle industry and how it is not the greenhouse gas criminal that the left, these the pro vegan left would have us believe.
1: Right. Well, Robert goes through a a lot of the sort of calculations of GHG emissions and such like. And again, a lot of the criticisms of things like agriculture and the cattle industry come from people who sit in a room and they do math and say, oh, look, these emissions come from there. But when you look at Albrecht Glatzel's work, and he's worked with the uh, World Federation of Agriculture, he's from Paraguay, Uh, he's an agricultural expert. You know, he finds that the IPCC never ever did a baseline on the emissions, GHG emissions of feral wild stock. So, like, there used to be uh, 60 to 100 million buffalo on the plains before uh, European civilization moved in, and they before we figured out out
0: how delicious they were.
1: (laughs) Oh, I think people were eating them then, and they were. But, uh, you know, there wasn't a baseline ever done by the IPCC. So a lot of these calculations are, again, completely off base. And what people don't realize who are calling for veganism is that cattle consume lots of food that people can't eat. And they turn it into food that people can't can eat. I mean, this is always and you can look at Jared Diamond's work on guns, germs and steel. He shows how... um, settled agrarian communities became so capable and powerful compared to some other uh, more nomadic or primitive communities, because they didn't have to work so hard for their source of food, and that food became you know, domesticated animals. And fortunately for Western civilization, most of the domesticated livestock or domesticable livestock were in that fertile crescent. So things like pigs, goats, sheep, uh, horses, cattle, that's what gave us our strength. And he compares it to the people in Papua New Guinea who, to get their protein, they have to cut down these huge trees, cut them in half, core them out, take that core, pound it into a powder, um, dry it, then mix it with water. By the time they're done, there's no, you know, the energy expended to do that is about equivalent or less than what they get to eat. So when you have cattle that can go and graze on pasture that you can't eat, you can't eat grass, you know, but they can eat it, then you can get milk, then you can get meat. So, um, and those are high protein sources of of food and the cattle themselves actually return the grasslands to good health because they poop everywhere. You know, it's a self-fertilizing process. And of course, you know, obviously you have to have some good management skills of the land, but most of our farmers are very well educated today. You know, they all have BAs and science degrees in agriculture and land management, soil management. So it's really a science now that's easily 100 years old. So, you know, the vegans are, are, uh, if you want to be a vegan, go ahead. But, yeah. you know, I love it when people tell me, oh, well, I live in Norway and veganism is good. Or, or that author from Sweden, Lund University. Everyone should be a vegan. Well, where do you get your vegetables from in winter, girl? Yeah. You know, they yeah. come on a container ship, on a truck, on a train. Somebody's bringing them to you and they're being farmed in some warm place. So that's ridiculous.
0: You know, that's a great point because a lot of uh, – well, I, I don't think I know a vegan who doesn't say – well, I am a vegan for this, this, this reason, and it's good for the earth. And and yet um, they are perfectly fine. I mean, I don't care if my pineapple comes from somewhere. I, I don't think greenhouse gas emissions are bad. But if you do... Then your pineapple that's coming from, you know, the tropics all the way to Norway, um, for your smoothie, you're (laughs) supposed to care about those things. I don't. I think it's great. Um, But they do care. And they say that's one of the reasons they go vegan. And yet they can't make that connection perhaps they need more protein in their diet um (laughs) and on that point on that point of pineapples lush cosmetics has always
1: been a virulent hater of the oil sands they even put together an alberta wild rose bath bomb at one point Mm -hmm. and contributed all the money to these tar sands campaigners yeah well you know where do they get their pineapples from to make their their face mask you know how many eggs do they go through to make some of the things that they they, uh, you know, so self-righteously discuss about being natural and good to coconut the earth. Oil.
0: yeah. Excuse me,
1: you know, all these things are coming from somewhere. <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't know any coconuts that grow around here. <laughs>
1: yeah, we don't um, have a coconut farm in Alberta.
0: <laughs> no. Um, moving along, though, on uh, issues facing rural Canada, again, another report out, um, I think it was Robert Lyman that did this one also, and it is about how climate policies disproportionately affect rural Canada. Now, you know that, and I know that, and I think anybody who has to drive to town to get a jug of milk knows that. But the numbers were really broken down and using um, what I thought was an interesting choice, Eastern Canadian communities, because Eastern Canadian communities are tending to vote Liberal, so they're the ones choosing these climate policies, and yet they're the ones being disproportionately hurt by them. Right. Well, you know, he
1: did a, a very interesting report because he looked at three rural communities in uh, the, the Atlantic uh, region. So he looked at set ile in Quebec, which has the Alumnire Alouette, and he looked at Iron Core Company of Labrador City in Newfoundland and Labrador, and he looked at the Greymont plant in Havelock, New Brunswick. And some of these communities don't have huge employment they not necessarily big loss of employment but uh, for instance the greymont plant is the third largest producer of lime which is necessary for cement in north america so all of these types of production aluminum iron ore and lime are extremely co2 intensive and at some point these climate policies are going to go rolling into those little towns and crush them and they will also destroy many of the coordinated industries that rely on these services and products in that region. So it's something that people don't really think about, especially, you know, again, because of the tar sands campaign, everybody down east is going, yeah, well, you know, so what Alberta, you made your own bed, now you have to lie in it. Well, guess what gang, (laughs) you know, you're in the same bed because effectively the climate change policies in Canada are a threat to Canada. They will crush our economy and destroy regions, and uh, we already see that all kinds of rifts are prop- propping up, cropping up because of these policies that are destroying regional economies, but it's
0: coming to, to your town, too. Yeah, and I, I think the beauty of Albertans is we probably won't say, I told you so. We'll probably say, okay, no. great, Now, now join uh, us in the fight. Yes, yes, we'll say it's not something that
1: people should be happy about, you know, we're not happy about it. We don't see it happening there yet, but nobody here will be happy to see other people lose their job.
0: Yeah, it it won't be long before some of the people who chose the feel goodery of Justin Trudeau's liberals, um, it won't be long till they're mugged by reality. And uh, I don't take any pleasure in or joy in it, but I do hope that they can uh, make the connection (laughs) that uh, this is what you voted for. So let's never do that again.
1: Right. And later on, I want to talk about some of the faulty perceptions within the climate change debate that are driving these extreme policies. But, you know, once people understand them, they'll realize that we actually don't need to implement those policies to be good to the earth or to save the planet. But uh, let's continue.
0: Sure. Um, I think the next thing I have on my list is um, the Canada-France climate deal. Most people outside of you and I and people who eat, sleep, and breathe climate policy because I don't want it to control my life. (laughs) Um, I don't think people know what this entails. The mainstream media has not reported on it. And can anybody explain to me the irony of Canada signing a climate deal with france when france is embroiled in protests from their people violent protests where people are showing up with torches and marching in the street because yes. they are resisting the climate policies of france and yet we're signing a deal with them saying yeah you know what hand in hand you and me uh canada and france trudeau and macron
1: yeah well uh, you know the climate uh deal was signed uh, right about the time that uh uh, Keystone XL suspended, or er, sorry, that uh, Trans Mountain suspended operations. Mm-hmm. Um, and possibly they they knew this was coming, or maybe the atmosphere was just too difficult for them anyway. So, um, you know, Justin Trudeau made a big speech in France about uh, how, you know, his forefather came from France and, you know, found opportunity in Canada, la di da, that's great. But the climate deal actually requires um, Canada to push carbon trading and push carbon climate policies worldwide. Now, our biggest trading partner is the United States of America, which does not have um, a uh, climate policy and which pulled out of the Paris Accord. And, uh, you know, I think our trade with France is about, you know, 4 billion or something like that. It's in our video. I just don't remember off the top of my head. But our trade with the states is something like 937 billion. So, you know, what are we doing? Are we insane? But then when you look at what France also has, they have this organization called La Francophonie. And if you recall, there was uh, some controversy some time ago about why are we paying for Michael John to be part of La Francophonie and, you know, coughing up all these uh, expenses for past governor generals. Uh, because of La Francophonie. It's a huge voting block at the UN. And Canada is part of it because we have French-speaking people. So it appears, it presents itself as a cultural thing about French language. But effectively, it's actually controlling a large part of the conversation on climate. And who does France buy all their oil from? Despot nations, other than a bit from Norway, you know, but... (laughs) If you look at who they buy oil from, they're buying it from all the people that Canada Action has been critical of, for instance. So what are we doing? You know,
0: it's like, let's shoot ourselves in the other foot. Yeah, but Michelle, those despot nations, some of them actually do speak French, so it's fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty interesting. and Have a look at it.
0: Yeah. Um, Now... Moving on to more global things, because that was pretty global. Uh, Let's talk about um, another, I suppose he started off as a Canadian bad idea, (laughs) Mark Carney. Yeah. (laughs) He was formerly of the Bank of Canada, and he wants to change the world currency to fight climate change. And this is going to cause chaos in economic markets across the globe, but I suppose the ends justify the means for these people.
1: Uh, Well, we did a video about uh, Mark Carney being appointed as the climate czar at the UN. Uh, Mr. Carney was with Goldman Sachs, a big carbon trading company. He was with them for 13 years prior to becoming the governor of the Bank of Canada. And during his time in Canada, his wife was uh, part of um, Canada 2020 and issued various reports pushing for carbon price, pushing for carbon trading. Then he moved over to the uh, Bank of England and at the Bank of England, he made a presentation to Lloyds of London, which is quite famous about climate change. And it's based on this very scary report. That was put out uh, and funded by Thomas Steyer and uh, Michael Bloomberg, two Hmm. green billionaires who've been demarketing fossil fuels worldwide. Um, At the same time, we understand that Mr. Steyer's uh, Fairlawn Capital uh, in the background has been buying coal stocks in Asia while in the front he's very green. Anyway, um, that can be read on Powerline, on the Powerline blog. Yeah. The epic hypocrisy of Thomas Stayer. Anyway, um, so Mr. Carney has recently proposed that perhaps we should move to a digital currency instead of the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency of the world because the, he's trying to stabilize European markets. But this would probably destabilize the world economy. Um, and particularly today, now that we see the tragic chaos in China regarding coronavirus, Um, you know, the Chinese have been buying up gold and U.S. dollars (laughs) for a long time. So they're certainly not going to be part of this digital currency party. And I I believe the underlying method here is to facilitate carbon trading and perhaps even an energy dollar, if you like. And this all goes back to the ideas of, say, George Monbiot, where everyone gets a personal carbon credit every year, a ration. You know, when you run out of energy credits, you just buy more (laughs) if you have money. Anyway, so, you know, I think it's important that people are aware of this move. And one of the things that Mr. Carney has actually promoted is uh, Facebook's proposed Libra digital currency. Um, And that was the only one that he singled out in one of his speeches in Kansas last year. Um, So, uh, you know, then it makes sense to me now why perhaps uh, Facebook has been um, limiting and censoring any articles that say there's no climate emergency, or articles that say that uh, Australian bushfires are not caused by climate change, but rather poor forestry management, because if your currency, digital currency's future, relies on climate catastrophe, of course you're going to promote that, Um, and, and You know, in a free society, you should be able to promote it, but you should be pretty transparent about it. I don't think that's happening. Uh,
0: No, uh, that was one uh, one thing I learned from one of your videos. Sometimes there's so much um, Facebook censorship happening, it's hard to stay on top of who exactly is the target today. Um, But I did learn that from one of your videos, that wildfire facts about the Australian wildfire were being censored by Facebook and Facebook fact-checkers. Um, because it doesn't comport with the narrative that this is climate change induced and not arson and um, poor forest management. Right. Well, there's a group in the States called Pointer Institute, and they're supposedly
1: dedicated to journalism, inquiry, and free speech and how important it is and they run uh, this organization called the International Fact-Checking Network which is made up of various people around the world who supposedly check on facts and they have subgroups of this they have um, health feedback and climate feedback and science feedback so um, the idea is good but of course what's happened is in the climate feedback world you've got a whole bunch of people who are on the climate change catastrophe mantra and so when um, anything doesn't fit that parameter they come out with that now Facebook has partnered with them in a Facebook integrity project (laughs) the words don't mean anything anymore (laughs) and you know most major media including CBC we've also got an item on CBC on our blog they if the international fact-checking network says this is BS then that's it that's what they go with they don't ask any more questions they they have no sense of looking in to see if there's an agenda there, and that's not journalism. Uh,
0: no, and uh, you and I were talking off camera about how some of these reports just make it into the ethos. And then so the insurance companies will adopt a, a report that s- says, oh, you know, the world's going to end in 12 years or whatever the, mm-hmm. the doomsday clock is at right now. And they'll they'll adopt that, and then then the banking industry will point at the insurance industry and say, See, the world's going to end in 12 years because the insurance industry says so. And then the governments will point at the banks and say, okay, see, the world's going to end now because the banks and the insurance agencies both say yeah. that the world's going to end. And they both care about mitigating the risk. So we better do it too. But nobody ever stops to examine the report. Nobody. Right. It just gets adopted. And then it, the circle of, uh, Lent credibility just goes around and around and around, and then we're all just supposed to believe it, but nobody ever goes back to the original report. And I think that takes us to... Uh, Roger
1: Pielke, Roger yes. Pielke Jr. did go yes. back to the original report. And uh, he's got a couple of articles on Forbes recently mm-hmm. that are very good. And again, he talks about how Thomas Dayer and Michael Bloomberg co-sponsored these um, this risky business report, which used... Uh, Uh, some climate simulations, one of them being the Registrated Concentrated uh, representative concentrated pathway 8.5 and this uh, you can see this on the cover of the IPCC SR 1.5 report that Greta Thunberg is always quoting there's an artistic representation of it and you'll see that there is this one line that goes way up and then there's one sort of in the middle and then there's one sort of here and then there's one down there so this would be 8.5 this is 2.6 this is 4.5 and that's uh, Six point two or something six zero anyway um, so this one according to PLK is totally ridiculous it's unrelated to reality because this one the eight point five at the top is uh, a world where everyone is using coal again as we used to do now on that graph that I described you know we're about here so we're way below that That's where we presently are. And these projections were never meant to be used in this way. They're simply simulations that scientists were using as a way to evaluate potential changes. But they rely on many socioeconomic factors, not just one thing, not just CO2 and not just fossil fuels. For instance, the 2.6, which uh, Greta is pushing for, is a world with 3 billion less people. So Where imagine are they the implications go. <laughs> yeah. So now you can understand some of the implications of that people like extinction rebellion, the voluntary extinction, humanity extinction project, it, you know, people who are running around with signs saying kill me, I want to save the planet. Yeah. You know, this insanity is coming from these model projections that have nothing to do with reality and should never ever be used this way. So that's on the front cover of the IPCC report. It's integral to this report that Bloomberg and Stayer put together or, or funded. And that has inco- uh, become embedded in scholarly documents. So now it's just part of mainstream media thinking when it has actually no relation to reality. And this is the report that um, Mark Carney used when he talked with Lloyds of London, you know, that this tragedy yeah. of the horizon we're not gonna be around long enough to see this big catastrophe, so we have to change everything completely now. It's a catastrophe that's from someone's imagination. It has nothing to do with reality. So, as you say, all these people have lent each other credibility by repeating and citing this. And, you know, there's now one group in the world, Clintel, the climate intelligence group out of the, out of the Netherlands, who uh, they've now put together 800 scientists more than 800 scientists, who say there's no climate emergency and let's stop, take a step back and stop scaring our kids, stop scaring the public and stop trying to reach net zero by 2050 because everybody will be dead. Like these are are really serious implications from these
0: crazy climate policies and they all originate with that report. You know it's it doesn't do much to help my conspiracy minded side. You know, my conspiracy minded side is always like these Democrat billionaires want us all dead. (laughs) They want us cold, frozen. They want, you know, they literally want the poor people to just vaporize off the earth. And then they cite reports that require the numbers to do just that. It's very, it's very chilling and scary. And it Like I said, it doesn't do much to quell my conspiracy-minded side. Um, I want to talk about uh, Davos because, like most global elitist parties, it just turned into another climate change shindig, and we just had one a couple months ago. Um, That's all anybody could talk about while they were there is climate change. It's all anybody can talk about at the G20. It's all anybody can talk about um, at any UN uh, function, and the World Economic Forum was no different. They had Greta Thunberg there um, being just a truant brat again, <laughs> telling grown-ups what to do. Like, as a mom, I'm running out of patience with this kid. I just think she's a brat, um, a- and not particularly all that special because she's a typical teenager who thinks she knows it all. And Davos is more than happy to listen to her and not listen to the 800 scientists um at clintel who actually know something about something like they're listening to a little girl who quit school and not, and not listening to these dissenting scientists well and uh, you can see why because
1: um you know first of all i want to say i think that greta herself honestly and sincerely believes this i think that she is completely terrified of mm-hmm. uh, the potential for catastrophe and uh you know that's thanks to al gore because in 2009 um in the book, Factfulness, um, Hans Rosling says, Al Gore told him in 2009, we have to create fear, you know, and Rosling was a global medical uh, specialist uh, working on medical policy worldwide and a medical doctor. And he said, you know, fear is like the worst thing that you can use because it will drive you into making dangerous and really bad decisions. And he gives lots of examples in his book. So, you know, Greta, Uh, speaking there herself I think she totally sincerely honestly believes it but who's behind her you know Kian did that report when he went to Sweden to try and find out well there's this huge group of green billionaires um, and this woman named Cory Morganstar has done a fabulous investigative research on the manufacturing of Greta Thunberg like this little girl is being used and exploited child exploitation by these green billionaires that's how she gets on the stage there because those guys are part of the, the Davos clique. So, you know, what can be a better way to get the public to move toward a digital currency, to agree to have their freedoms totally eclipsed by climate policy, to agree to have their economies destroyed by climate policy, than having this young woman speak from the heart with all sincerity to a bunch of billionaires who just flew in on their private jets? <laughs> You know, yeah. Uh, so um, and again, the Clintel group has said it's a crime to make children afraid of their future. And if you read the Factfulness book by Roslyn, you'll see that everywhere around the world, things are better for everyone, much better. There's still lots of inequality, but much, much better. Things are always improving. And so that's not something that Greta even knows about. So it is really a tragedy that we're being bamboozled by these people who put together that report that now has inculcated uh, all of Western society with fear of an apocalyptic ending, something that's not going to happen, because that's not what the evidence shows.
0: Right. There's something um, especially sinister about playing on the fears of children. My 13-year-old daughter probably feels like she's going to die every time I take her cell phone away. Now, what if the head of Rogers said to her, you know what? You are going to die if she takes that cell phone away. You will literally drop dead. Maybe not now, but in 12 years, you're going to drop dead if your mother takes your cell phone away. Yeah. Rogers would sell a hell of a lot of cell phones to some young people if they were able to convince young people that they were going to die if their mothers took their cell phone away. That's very similar to what Greta is, is experiencing right now. And I know it sounds crazy, my comparison, but it's pretty much the same if you're a grown up looking at it with clear eyes.
1: Sure, and if you look at their prospectus for the group, we don't have time, that's what they named their yeah. their organization.
0: No um, fear there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you find that they have uh, attached themselves, you know, they've got a big global agency, they're doing a huge social engineering project, and the main thrust is that they're selling carbon offsets. Yep. So they're using Greta as a walking ad to sell their carbon offset trading deals. Um, you know, and ironically, in the prospectus, they say, and advertisers may have sort of, you know, future opportunities with social media influencers like Greta when she grows up. Well, you know, if we're all going to die in 12 years, what? <laughs> I thought you guys said we're all going to die in 12 years. Now you're saying when she grows up, you can cash in on Greta. Like, that is so sick. And also, you know, what a, what a perverted thinking to put out there to the to the public. So, um, yeah, there's uh, we do have time. You know, and that's what the Clean Health Group is saying. We do have time. We shouldn't rush into these things. We should take a step back and we should stop scaring children, especially, and stop scaring the public. It's a crime.
0: Now, um, I've taken up quite a bit of your time this morning, but I wanted to talk about um, the new event that Friends of Science Society is planning. And uh, let me just say off the hop, um, friends and listeners at home, viewers at home, if you've never gone to a Friends of Science Society event, I cannot recommend it enough. It's always a packed house. The food is great. The company's great. The speakers are incredible. And you're going to hear ideas that you will not hear in the mainstream media because they're unafraid and the science speaks for itself. Right. Well, this
1: year it's going to be on April the 6th It's at the Red and White Club in Calgary and we're going to have Donna LaFramboise speaking on freedom of speech and we're going to have Dr. Roy Spencer speaking on uh, 10 reasons why there's no climate emergency. So it's called freedom of speech no climate emergency and uh, Donna will be addressing the fact that climate change activists really want all your freedoms and they're incrementally employing new and new laws, new legislation, you know, more bins to compost, more restrictions on where your car can park, more restrictions on whether or not you can fly and such like on and on and on. They're gradually taking your freedoms away. And um, actually, she just did an article rebutting the Winnipeg Free press. Free press. Wasn't that ironic? (laughs) Which wrote an article saying it's time to silence deniers. (laughs) Now, of course, that may be influenced by the fact that in Winnipeg, they have the Prairie Climate Center, which instead of pushing climate information, is pushing wind and solar, ironically, and is funded by um, one of the... used to be funded by Great West Life which was owned by Power Corp. I don't know if it still is, but you know, you see these connections, you go, Hmm. Yep. Anyway, yes. And Dr. Roy Spencer, he was uh, with NASA and, uh, he's an award-winning scientist. He's now a principal researcher at university of uh, Alabama Huntsville. And he and John Christie run all the satellite data, uh, from there. And, uh, they're the ones who show that there's really no change in global temperatures according to the satellite data. So where's the catastrophe?
0: You know, that's great. Um, because, you know, you're bringing in people who actually are studying the data that the climate change activists are distorting to push their own agenda. It's, it's very great. Uh, again, you're going to the source report or source reporter, I guess, in this instance, um, instead of just buying the spin three people out it's like the game of telephone right
1: it is the game of telephone yes
0: and you know and donna may I mentioned she also wrote the
1: book uh the delinquent teenager so it's kind of funny that we have greta at davos (laughs) (laughs) because the delinquent teenager is about how the ipcc acts like a delinquent teenager where you know they won't clean up their room so they've been criticized uh, on many many issues over the years and they haven't fixed it and um when Donna was here, she showed that Greenpeace and World Wild Fund uh, leading members, uh, legends, are influencing the IPCC reports. And who funds Greenpeace and World Wild Fund for a lot of money? The Oak Foundation, one of yep. the tar partners, you know, the Rockefellers. These, all these big foundations have been funding Greenpeace and World Wild Fund and these guys are influencing the IPCC reports that your local, provincial and federal governments base their climate policies on so I don't I see a huge conflict of interest there I'm sure many other people do so people should read her book
0: and follow her blog it's a big pic big picture so now how do people get tickets to the event and more importantly if they can't make the event how do they support the good work that you guys at friends of science society do um, thanks. Um, well, to, to
1: get to our event you can get a ticket on Eventbrite, you can go to our homepage and there's a link from our homepage directly to the Eventbrite ticketing process and we do have a student rate as well if uh, kids uh, and young adults are interested. Um, so it's going to be April 6, 6 p.m. at the Red and White Club in Calgary. We offer a full buffet. Uh, then we have our two speakers. Uh, We have a break in the middle where you can pick up some bling, and (laughs) we have all kinds of bits and pieces, books, DVDs, and such like. And it's just a really nice evening, so uh, I hope people will take advantage of it. And And that's at,
0: sorry, that's at friendsofscience.org?
1: Yes. And if you want to support us, we also have a donate button there, donate membership, so uh, please feel free. We'd love to have some help.
0: Yeah. I'm astounded at uh, the work that Friends of Science can do with your shoestring budget and your videos. Um, For a small Canadian uh, science-focused YouTube channel, you guys are getting, (laughs) on some videos, nearly a million views, half a million views. A video you did the other day has 70,000 views. I think that's great. You're reaching a lot of people because I think you have sort of a, a bit of a a rebel journalistic mission in that we say we like to tell the other side of the story. That's exactly what you guys are doing. So um, I recommend everybody subscribe to Friends of Science YouTube channel. If you're looking for a place where you can get uh, layman's terminology of complex scientific issues that environmentalists are counting on you not to understand, go to the Friends of Science YouTube channel. You'll get a ton of arguments that you can take out, take into the world with you. Yes, well we we do try to present the plain language version. We also back it up
1: with the scientific material And uh, so, you know, we're not trying to bamboozle people. We want people to understand sort of these fundamental principles and uh, Yeah, we we're very happy with you know, our YouTube uh, Audience is uh, very responsive and we also try to respond when we can to comments on YouTube Facebook Mm -hmm. Twitter so, you know, we we advocate for open civil debate on climate and energy policies. That's what's missing right now. Because I think if we had open civil debate, a lot of the hysterical rhetoric would calm right down and people would be making more thoughtful, incremental um, changes rather than some of these vast sweeping changes that people are coming up with that are really detrimental, especially to middle class and, and poor people. It will crush the middle class.
0: Well, that's exactly why people like, I guess, the Winnipeg Free Press want to shut you up (laughs) because, you know, they can't win the debate. Uh, Michelle, uh, I've taken up so much of your time today. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show. We shouldn't leave it this long before you're back on again. Um, And this is a place where you can come on and talk um, as long as you want without me ever trying to shut you up.
1: (laughs) Yes, thank you. I really, really appreciate that. All of us do, all of us and all of our members appreciate that. Thank you so much, Sheila.
0: The ever-growing choir of scientific minds dissenting from the theory of human-induced global warming are being shut out of the debate, which means it's really not much of a debate anymore when only one side is allowed to talk. The same thing is happening to those nerdy number crunchers who disagree with the concept that making people poorer through taxes will somehow change the weather that's crazy when you say it out loud isn't it you know you'll scarcely see these people with articles published in mainstream media outlets even though their opinions frankly are pretty mainstream and you will absolutely never see them on a panel as a counterbalance at the cbc in fact we know at the cbc its official policy to not have so-called deniers on at all and that's why i love what friends of science is doing they're going completely around the gatekeepers of Legacy Media, and speaking directly to the people through their YouTube channel. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. Thanks, as always, for watching the show. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.